College Basketball Podcast. This is Jonathan here alongside Sean. And boy, did we have a wild week. Uh, seems like every single AP top 10 team, you know, just wants to go down. Gonzaga's going to take the new number one ranking. Uh, so, yeah, we've we've got all that to break down. Uh, Sean, how are you doing before we uh, kind of dive in here? Been a fun week of college basketball, so I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, definitely a good week of college basketball. And first off, we'll start with a couple of reviews uh, we got. Uh, make sure to leave a nice review. You leave a nice review. Uh, we'll shout you out on the show. First comes from Zach Willits, too. Uh, he says, uh, five stars, solid show, nothing to complain about here. They provide great insight and updates to the best sport in the world. I'd love to be a part of it. So thank you to Zach Willits. Uh, and then M. Trutan, uh, Mike Trutan, uh, he said, my favorite CBB podcast. Uh, Jonathan and Sean cover it all from the Big East to the Big West and everything in between, all conferences, big and small. Uh, they are very informative. So thank you to those reviews. You can leave a five-star review. Uh, please do that. And uh, I guess now we can get into uh, the what was a wild week of college basketball. And I think we, we have to begin with number one losing. Uh, it was Arkansas protecting home court. They beat Auburn. And it was it was a fantastic game, fantastic court storm, because they were literally – on the court uh, as the buzzer was sounding. Yeah. They should, they should probably go a little slower next time. Yeah. feel like, feel like you should go a little slower than what they went, but I, here's the thing about Auburn. Like they're really good. I think Wendell Green's a really good player, but those two plays, it was a turnover where JD Note goes and strips him from behind. And then I don't know why he shot like a 30 foot three with not that much time left. So I think if anything holds him back, it's some of the decisions Wendell Green makes. Like, he's a really talented player, and he makes flashy plays. But there's also some downsides when you're a flashy player that makes some interesting plays. And we saw those downsides in this one. Yeah, and certainly I think, like, for one, Wendell Green, an ideal role, and what has been his ideal role is he's like the sixth man where you're not – you know, if he comes in off the bench and scores you 20 points on – uh, nine of 15 shooting or whatever it is you're you're of course happy to take that and you're you're taking in uh, running and probably go end up winning that game but when he's in the starting lineup I think these past two games he's been a little bit uh, shot happy and you know that's come at the expense of I think kind of the rest of the uh, offense whereas like Jabari Smith he got some shots up late but he should not be taking five less shots than Wendell Green. Uh, Walker Kessler should not be taking 10 less shots than uh, Wendell Green. Uh, Katie Johnson uh, took seven shots. Like Wendell Green, I think this is where Zeb Jasper being out with a non-COVID illness does play a little bit of a role. Uh, not saying they necessarily lose this game or win this game with uh, Zeb Jasper, but I do think like him being out, did play a factor in this just because I think there was a little bit more or a little bit less ball movement, a little bit less, you know, initiative to get the ball inside where their two best players are. 
I do still have some questions about this Arkansas team. They're probably like, what, a six seed right now? Yeah, I think they're last six, although I have an update it for tomorrow. Like, so. they're, really, they're really good defensively. I like a lot of the pieces they have on that end of the floor. But if J.D. Note is taking as many shots as he does, like he's a solid player, but he shoots too many threes. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's a very dynamic scorer, but they don't really have that second guy that I feel like you can rely on. Sometimes it's Stanley Umude. Sometimes it's Adi's Tony. It can be Jalen Williams on occasion, but it's not like he's a dominant scorer by any means. And then, like, Devo Davis really hasn't been good offensively at all this year. So they're really good defensively, but there's just not a lot there on the offensive end of the floor, and I really think that's what's going to hold them back. They're the kind of team I would look at for a potential upset in the first round of the tournament. Yeah, although at this point, I think they're probably destined to be, like, in that – Maybe they get to like a five seed. I doubt it. Like I would take I, if I would take a 12, like most 12s, I would take over them. Yeah. Like I think they'll probably end up being, maybe it's like they're playing 10 seed Loyola Chicago in the seven ten game or something like that. Uh, maybe that's a position where they come in and obviously everyone's good. Take Loyola Chicago. I'd probably take them uh, too, especially with their tournament success. But yeah, I mean, in terms of Arkansas, they're not like dynamic scoring wise. They're tough defensively. They were tough defensively in this game. And it's like not consistent offense, but hey, in this game, Jay Note goes off uh, for 28 points. A lot of those coming out the line, but hey, you get your 28 points how you get there. Uh, Jalen Williams is a, I think he's he's like a perfect five in a role where you have like, two or three dynamic guards. Like if he's your center with I out like Biddick Matherin, uh Jay Nivey and Johnny Davis or something like that, you're like, okay, this team's win the national championship. But because he's kind of like, you know, I think a role center on a team that doesn't have a superstar, I think that kind of limits him. Uh but yeah, this Arkansas team they're solid. They're going to make the NCAA tournament. And hey, they, for the first time since uh, Michael Jordan was in college, they beat a number one team. And the previous one was, of course, against Michael Jordan in 1984, I think. Yeah. When you look at the starting lineup that Arkansas went with the other day, it was Audis Tony, who's only attempted like 18 threes this year. So he's just a non-shooter completely. He doesn't take them. You have J.D. Note shooting 30%, but takes a lot of them. He's taken like 150. Then you have Stanley Umude, who has never really been a great shooter, even at South Dakota when he was a big-time scorer. He's always a solid shooter, but not a great shooter. He's shooting 33% from three. You have Trey Wade, who's not really an offensive player at all. He's only taken 17 threes. And then you have Jalen Williams, who's a defense-first guy for sure. He has attempted 35 threes. So really four of the five, three of the five guys in that lineup don't shoot. I think that's a big problem, like a very big problem. You almost have to win games defensively or hope J.D. Note goes off. Because when you have that many guys, I mean, Trey Wade only played six minutes in the game, so he didn't really play starter minutes, but he has played big minutes in the past. But it's like you put in Devo Davis, he made two threes in this game, but he's shooting 24% from three on the season. So you just don't have a lot of shooting, and I think that's a big-time problem. Yeah, but, I mean, in this game, they were, I think, early on able to kind of grind this one a little bit out. And, you know, 
the game uh, went into overtime uh, tied at 66. So, I mean, it was a good defensive game. And then obviously the offense opened up a little bit in overtime uh, for Arkansas to get the win. But yeah, I mean, in terms of this Arkansas team, I think they're, you know, their ceiling is maybe sweet 16 if they get the right matchups. Like, I, I don't think they're going to the Elite Eight like last year. I'd probably predict them to either, you know, lose in the round of 64 or round of 32. But in terms of this, I mean, now they're, you know, coming into this game, they were still a tournament team. They had, you know, won enough games to, and afford themselves an opportunity to be a tournament team. Uh, but this win here just kind of, I think, solidifies it. And now they're kind of like fighting for seeding, fighting to, you know, get in position to get, you know, it's a seed where they could make that sweet 16 type run, uh, which is always good. But yeah, for Arkansas, good win here and uh, being a number one team. That is always good. Uh, should, I next agree game, with you for sure. Yeah, next game, get into uh, Duke. Lost at home to Virginia, who not still not on the – I wouldn't say like anywhere close to the NCAA tournament. Definitely not a tournament resume, but hey, this is a good win for Virginia. Uh, Reese Beekman hits a game-winning three uh, and just completely stuns uh, Duke on the road. Bad, bad defense on Duke. They completely forgot about maybe one of the rare Virginia players who you know, can knock down a three and it ends up biting them. And Duke falls 69 to 68 to Virginia. Look, I said it last podcast, Virginia is the third best team in the ACC. I feel very comfortable in that take now because one thing about it is I was out on this Virginia team before the year even started. Like this team still isn't good. Don't get me wrong. They're 90th in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. They looked a lot better in this game, but their offense was very solid in this one. Probably the best offensive game they've really had this year. And they just didn't take a ton of threes, two for 12, but they realized that they're not a three point shooting team. So they didn't take many of them. Kihei Clark was getting wherever he wanted on the court. And that's where where this Virginia team can be good because Kihei is such a good creator. You had Caden Shedrick going with 16, eight for eight from the field. Virginia, it's tough. I think with how weak the bubble is, they're going to find their way in the tournament if they just win the games they're supposed to because this is a big time win. They've now won three in a row. They're probably going to beat Georgia Tech on Saturday. Then they have a big road game against Virginia Tech. You win that one, and then maybe you beat Miami too, then I think you're looking really good in terms of making the NCAA tournament. They're not a team I feel comfortable winning a game in the tournament, but there's one 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 thing I do trust about this Virginia team, and it's a guy standing on the sideline. Anytime Tony Bennett is your head coach, you're going to figure it out in some capacity. Yeah, and I thought the player of the game really for Virginia was K.K. Clark. I, I get that he went 4 of 11 from the floor, but he was just like able to just completely get wherever he went off the dribble. Um, you know, I, I think I attribute this to partially bad Duke defense. Like they – it felt like a lot of times they were trying to go for steals and trying to uh, get easy points in transition instead of like trying to actually, you know, stop Kihei Clark from getting wherever he wanted to go. And he, he had a lot of assists just to uh, Shedrick inside himself. Like Shedrick had 16 points, eight of eight shooting. And most of those looks were wide open dunks were, uh, Kihei Clark beats the, his defender and get you know forces that switch and 
uh, feeds Shedrick for like a wide open dunk. I felt like I, I was watching that play on loop for a portion there of the game. Duke may run to kind of make it a close game. Uh, had, in fact, had the lead uh, going down the final stretch and ultimately, you know, bad defense prevails and uh, Virginia comes away with a good win. I still think for Duke, I mean, they have an abundance of talents uh, on the roster. I do think like Trevor Keels, I would say like he's probably shooting a little bit too much. I get there's like low possessions of the game in this game, but like Paulo Bancaro went the entire second half, I think, without taking a field goal attempt. Like he, he and was, that's the second time that's happened too. Like yeah. I think it was against Florida State, right, where he took like no shots in the second half. Yeah, like, and oh, they lost that game. Like, come on. Yeah, like I get he wasn't like having the most fantastic game. I think like at this point, it's probably like he's falling to that position where he's probably going to end up being the third pick taken instead of like top two because I think Chet Holmgren and. I guess we could talk about him maybe a little bit later. Like he's prop I would, I would say he's running away with the number one pick. I'd still put Jabari Smith, but like Paulo Bancaro is your best player. And for him not to get a single field goal attempt, uh, that's, that's not great. Not at all. And uh, let's talk about a team that had an up and down week. Purdue and beats Illinois. They sweep Illinois on the season series. They did a good job against Kofi Coburn again. But we saw them lose against Michigan tonight as we're recording this. And they didn't just lose to Michigan. They got destroyed by Michigan. They're now 126 in defensive defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. This breaks their winning streak. Michigan went 12 for 21 from three. They scored 1.32 points per possession. Purdue only went four for 18 from three. They played Zach Eady and Travion Williams together a little bit, which is one of the first times we've seen that this year. Uh, Jay Ivey still had 18 points, but it wasn't Purdue's best game offensively. And their defense is a big time problem. Like that is a bad defensive team. Yeah. And it, it was kind of a tale of two weeks. Cause like Illinois is like one of the best offensive teams and Purdue had a great defensive game plan. They were kind of like doubling Kofi Coburn with the size, like they were forcing Coburn to, you know, have a rough shooting night. Uh, I guess he ended up with 18 points. It did not feel like he ended up with 18 points. Like it felt like he maybe had eight points or six points in this game. I think he got a little bit at the end, but yeah, I mean, they were terrific defensively and uh, forced, you know, Plummer, Trent Frazier, which thank goodness he didn't come down with a major injury. They all had poor performances. It felt like, like, for Illinois, Andre Corbello was kind of the only person having a good game. Uh, he had 15 in this one, but yeah, just not, you know, I think a good defensive performance per, by Purdue. Uh, and then, of course, they followed up by just giving up like wide open threes to Hunter Dickinson and getting run off the court against Michigan. Just one of the weirder weeks uh, we've seen in the sport. Dickinson's really shot the ball well this year. He's been a good player, but here, obviously, he's been a good player. I mean, he's one of the best big men in the country, but here's my stat, updated stat about Caleb Houston. Michigan, still undefeated when Caleb Houston makes at least three triples. I mean, it, it's a stat that is undefeated at the moment. He made four, or no, he made, yeah, he made four today. So four when Caleb six. Houston's making threes, Michigan wins. 
Hunter Dickinson also went four six, which yeah, and I don't have a stat for that, but I'm sure yeah. I could find one somewhere. I oh, I have a stat. When Hunter Dickinson makes four threes, Michigan still undefeated. There you go. There you go. I assume this is his only game where he's had four threes. Well, yeah, but still, the point yeah. stands. The point stands. When he's made three or more threes, you know how many games they've won? Two and oh? Uh, I believe it's three and – oh, yeah, three and oh. Oh, there we go. I reckon said in Caleb Houston, if they make three threes, if either one of them makes three threes, it's over. You're going to lose. It's like going to overtime against Florida State. Like you, you may you may think you have a shot, but you you really don't have a shot. You're gonna lose. That's that's the level we've reached at, especially with Caleb Houston. But yeah, I mean for Michigan though, this is a big win because they they have like good metrics. Uh, they're I think they're ranked forty seventh in the net. Don't quote me on that officially. They're twenty seventh in Ken Palm. Yeah. I mean, they've been higher in Ken Palm, but... They were 47 today. Ke- Kevin Sweeney told me that moments ago. So they went from 47 to 27 today. In, in Ken Palm? Yep. Well, that, this, this one will certainly do it. Like, they were... I think they were 47th in the net. Let me just confirm that here real quick. But, what, yeah. the Ken Palm ranking? No, the net ranking. Mm. So, I mean, they're going to, yeah, 47th. They're going to probably move. They might move into the top 40 after this performance. If if they jump that far, like, they'll probably jump over BYU, Belmont. Uh, I guess North Carolina's team they need to jump over. Like, I think they'll jump probably into the top 40 of the net. Uh, and then... Obviously, from there, I mean, the resume is it's decent, but when you have when you're ranked 27th in Kempom, top four in the net, uh, you don't really have any bad losses, and most most of the reason they wouldn't be in is just because of the record. But now the record is uh, 13 nine, four games above 500, which is kind of the rule I go by. Rule committee traditionally goes by. When selecting at large teams, yeah, I think at this point, if Michigan's able to go 500 on the way in, which would include getting some tough wins, because they the Big Ten did them no favors down the stretch. Uh, Ohio State at Iowa at Wisconsin, Rutgers at home uh, might be an easy one, but then Illinois, Michigan State uh, at Ohio State. So, I mean, if they're able to go 500 in that stretch. Uh, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Texas going and beating – well, they didn't go anywhere. They did it at home, but Texas beat Kansas. That was a nice win and really the statement win for Chris Beard in Austin so far. Timmy Allen couldn't miss from the mid-range. He had 24 points, 11 for 17 shooting. They only went three for 20 from deep, but they were able to overcome that thanks to their defense and three-point shooting down and mid-range shooting down the stretch. Looks like Timmy Allen has really emerged as a go-to guy for them offensively. He's their leading scorer on the season at around 12 a game. But I always thought Marcus Carr had to be the guy, and that showed me that he doesn't have to be. You can rely on guys like Trey Mitchell and Timmy Allen to go get you some buckets when you need them to. Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones are still trying to figure it out a 
little bit. Neither had, had great games. I mean, Andrew Jones went over five from three with 10 points, and Courtney Ramey had seven points. But Ramey did a terrific job defending Oshai Abaji, so his value was a lot more than the seven points he scored. Like, he might have been their most important player due to his defensive ability on Abaji. But, I, I mean, this Texas team is very talented. We know that. Chris Beard's a great coach. Do you think this is the kind of game that really turns it around for Texas? Yeah, I think they've like starting to you know build some sort of team chemistry. Like I I kind of you know had, early in the season it didn't look like they were playing with you know any sort of like knowing what they're doing. Like one game Marcus Carr would go off for 21, one game it'd be like they didn't know who was supposed to be the alpha. And to to a certain extent, like I don't know if they know exactly what you know, they're exactly playing perfectly together, but I thought in this game, like they, they saw that, okay, Timmy Allen is, uh, you know, killing it in the mid range. Trey Mitchell is scoring easily on the interior and uh, they were getting the, you know, putting the ball in their hands and letting them score. Uh, Allen had 24, uh, hit the go ahead jumper. Trey Mitchell hit the big bank in three, which on the previous, like, five threes he shot it was you know brick city and then of course he banks it in uh that's that's sometimes how it goes but yeah impressive win for texas uh they do have a really tough schedule upcoming go at baylor at oklahoma texas tech at home in the next three games so i mean if they're if they're able to go two and one in that stretch i mean we're we need to you know start talking about texas being you know Maybe, I don't think they're a national champion. Like I can't picture myself seeing, you know, Timmy Allen or Marcus Carr pulling up the national championship trophy. But I think they're like a team that could be a dark horse Final Four team uh, if they're like a four seed in the NCAA tournament. You could see that team, you know, potentially making a run to uh, the Final Four. Uh, but as for Kansas, like Abaji didn't really get any easy looks. I thought McCormick was good in this game, which we've seen now, I think like two or three good games in a row by McCormick. Jim Wilson was solid, but uh, just didn't get a lot out of the guard play, which Courtney Ramey shut down Abaji. Good job on that. But felt like a game Christian Brown or Harris or, you know, Remy Martin didn't play in this one. That could have been impactful, but just didn't get enough out of the guard play. I agree with you there. And a team that I do like, and they really needed a win here, is SMU. And they got a big-time win against Houston on Wednesday night. They came back. They looked like they were definitely going to lose that game. Starting off 11 nothing, Houston, and then Houston led by 15 in the second half. But Kendrick Davis was able to lead the comeback. Marcus Weathers had a good game. Michael Weathers had a good game. So SMU pulls out the much-needed win if they were going to have a chance to get an at-large bid. It was a big win for them, and Kendrick Davis is, might be the best point guard in the country. So if SMU finds a way to get into the NCAA tournament, they have an advantage over a lot of teams because they have the best guard on the floor almost every single night. And when you get into the NCAA tournament, guard play might be the most important thing. You don't win games unless you have great guards, and SMU has a great one. Where does this put SMU in your bracketology? Do you think they're in? What do they need to get in? Obviously, they need to avoid losing the bad teams, but what what else do you think they need to do? Yeah, I mean. The hard part is the American is just like what it is a very 
bad conference. Like it, like if you're comparing the American to the WCC or Mountain West, you're you're not looking in the right spots because the American is it's. I think if you take out Houston, this is probably just maybe even worse than the Missouri Valley. That's that's how bad the American is for from like what it usually is. But I mean, for SMU, I think right now they've got a quad three, they've got a quad four loss. Uh, that quad those, four could be getting better today if Loyola Marymount beats BYU, which right. everyone will know the result of this game by then. So maybe they did beat BYU, maybe not. But I, I don't know if that would even get LMU to Q3 territory. That's just that's just a bad loss. Or yeah, that's just a bad loss on a neutral. Yeah. Although like to, to SMU's credit, like we thought, LMU would be good. Uh, I really thought LMU would be good. I was very wrong. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they jump to top 200 in the net, it's quad three. So I think that would look better on the resume. Uh, it's, I mean, it's say with their resume, I mean, they got that Houston win. If they're able to like, let's say Dayton is able to kind of make a run down the stretch, what they, which they have been doing that win could certainly look better. Uh, you know, if they're able to sweep Memphis, that would certainly help. Like SMU's going to, they have this win. I think they've afforded themselves, you know, the ability to lose to Houston uh, two more games. But, you know, the, the problem with this league is it's like landmine after landmine after landmine. Like East Carolina, Temple, those are, you lose those games, those are bad losses. So I right now I have SMU in. Uh, but certainly they've they've got to take care of business. It's kind of like you know Murray State, less to a lesser extent, like Murray State's in a pretty good spot. But let's say Belmont, like Belmont, they might be in for now, but it's like you can't lose any any other games. Uh, which SMU I think can lose to Houston. They can maybe lose to Memphis, but outside of that, like I. They, they need to continue kind of running the table uh, the rest of the way, but certainly a good win there. Uh, Kendrick Davis, as you mentioned, just he's a stud. Like he, they did like the Bob Cousy award watch list, like the top 10 plazer, players at the point guard position. I was stunned he was not on that. Like, yeah, I mean, he, he absolutely should have been. There's not 10 point guards better in the country than Kendrick Davis, and I say that with, like, the most confidence of anything I've ever said in my life. Like, he should have been on that list. Yeah, like, I would, like, I would probably say, like, Colin Gillespie is maybe number one. Uh, I think I would take a healthy James Akinjo over everybody. But Akinjo had a few games where he was hurt, missed a couple games. So, I don't know if he's going to end up winning it, but. Yeah, I mean, Akinjo especially early in the season, he was balling out. But yeah, I th- I'd say like Kendrick Davis is a top five point guard. Like there are not 10 better point guards than him. I don't think five better than him. No, for sure. I'm with you. Uh, getting into another team that really needed a win. It was Oklahoma. They had lost seven of eight games. They're only winning that stretch coming over West Virginia. This was a must win game for their at large resume to really stay afloat and to add another positive win to the resume. They do just that in beating Texas Tech 70 to 55. Their defense was great, allowed just two of 17 from outside for Texas Tech. Umoja Gibson cannot be stopped from outside. He made more threes 
He made four times more threes than the entire Texas Tech team. 30 points, eight made triples. Uh, Jacob Groves, he came out, or Tanner Groves. I don't know why I just got them confused. Tanner Groves only had two points. He had four fouls. He was in foul trouble virtually the entire game. So the fact that Tanner Groves pretty much didn't play and you still won convincingly against a really solid Texas Tech team, it was a big-time encouraging factor for Oklahoma. Their offense was struggling as of late, so you, getting 30 from Emoji Gibson is big-time. But I come away more concerned about Texas Tech than encouraged by Oklahoma in this game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, for Oklahoma, like, to get this win, that is absolutely huge because their upcoming stretch is really tough. Uh, let's see, they go at Kansas. Texas at home probably feels like a must-win. Iowa State on the road, I mean, Iowa State's struggling. That's still going to be a tough game. So, I mean, life's not easy in the Big 12. If they can go 2-2 two and two in their next, you know, couple games, that's going to be huge. But this felt like a game Oklahoma really needed to get. And credit to them, they got it. And, you know, comes by way of Umoja Gibson having a fantastic game. Like, 8 of 11 from 3. Uh, sometimes, like, if you're Texas Tech and Umoja Gibson goes 8 of 11 from three it's like well we did maybe we could have guarded him better but there's some nights where you know opposing players just are not going to miss a single shot and that felt like kind of one of those games even like the contested shots it felt like he was making but yeah I mean for Texas Tech I think part of it you know I think Oklahoma did a good job on Bryson Williams he kind of struggled in this game uh O'Banner had his but yeah, I mean, this Texas Tech team, guard play-wise, is kind of like the concern. They don't really have a true That's my concern. point guard. Like some, I think McCullers maybe their best. It's I would say McCuller or Adonis Arms. Like I trust them with the ball in their hands the most. But like they're neither of them are like true point guards. They don't necessarily have like the best outside shooting either. Uh, so I mean, it when they're not playing inside out I think that's where Texas Tech finds themselves very vulnerable I think the defense can carry them to you know let's say a second weekend elite eight or something like that but eventually when you go up against you know like Gonzaga against uh Purdue or one of these teams that just has like one of these explosive offenses that can you know score 80 on anyone like you're going to need to you know, have this, you know, offense figure out. It felt like Texas Tech really, you know, didn't necessarily go into Bryson Williams enough in this game. But credit to Oklahoma, again, for making him struggle a little bit. So tough loss for Texas Tech, but uh, they're, they're still going to be, you know, a tough out come NCAA tournament time. I don't think that I don't think they can be a Final Four team. I, I just don't think the guard plays good enough. And that was a question I had coming into the year. And it's still a question now. I mean, Kevin McCullers looked very solid at times, but he's not a point guard. He just isn't. That's not what he is. He's a good wing. He's a good two guard. He's not a true point guard. And I think you need a true point guard if you're going to be a Final Four team. Uh, Malik Wilson, he's a fine player, but he's averaging three a game, two assists, one point or. 1.0 turnover so a two to one assist to turnover ratio like that's fine for playing 17 minutes and then you look at Clarence Nadalny he barely plays so he has more assists per game or more turnovers per game than assists per game 
he plays 16 minutes a game. So that's like, I just can't trust that. I, I can't trust that. I trust their defense, but when it comes down to it, I don't know who is taking the final shot for this team. First off, probably Bryson Williams, but I don't think that's what you wanted coming into the season. I think you expected that to be TJ Shannon, but he struggled staying on the court. If he's able to stay on the court consistently, that changes things, but you have guys, you're not a great shooting team. You don't have a point guard. You don't know who your go-to guy is. So you almost have to win defensively when the three-point shots aren't falling. So that's what I think holds this Texas Tech team back. And I don't think they're a Final Four caliber team. I think they can make a Sweet 16, but I, that might be their ceiling for me. Yeah, I mean, if, like, the bracket breaks away, like, let's say whoever the number one seed in their region ends up losing and they play, you know, who they're going to be a three seed. Let's say, like, the one and the two seed fall, like, Texas Tech can overwhelm a lot of teams just with their, you know, defensive capabilities just because they're able to kind of make it tough even for, like, bad teams. But, I mean, this this is a team, I think, if you're telling me, hey, can this team go out and beat a, you know, let's say a Gonzaga, a Purdue, or I guess they probably won't be in uh, Kansas's region – Arizona, like Kentucky, like I don't think they're beating those teams along the way, which is like part part of what it is. Like Texas Tech is still a pretty good team. Uh, Mark Adams has done a terrific job. I just don't think beyond that, uh, you know, I don't think they can get past those type of teams, which you you need to do if you're going to you know win a national championship. So I think that's kind of where I stop with Texas Tech. Uh, I think two other teams that I would not consider national championship team, it is Wisconsin and Michigan State. The Badgers, though, they they got a nice win because they, they had been struggling. Giant Davis had been struggling, and he had a big game in this one, 25 points, uh, 8-11 shooting. Felt like he was getting to his spots and scoring a little bit better in this one and broke out of a shooting slump in this one, which was good. Yeah, I still don't know what to think of this Michigan State team. There's times where they look really good, but at the end of the day, they're another team where I'm like, well, who's their go-to guy? I trust Tom Izzo because he's one of the best coaches in the country, but you look at Max Christie, eight points. Gabe Brown, seven points. Malik Hall, 12 points. But in a couple games, he could have two points. And then Tyson Walker only played 14 minutes, 1.2 turnovers, one assist. You were expecting a lot more from Tyson Walker this year. A.J. Hogard's been the clear better option. He had seven assists and seven points. He's going to be their go-to guard probably for the rest of the season. But Marcus Bingham with 15, Malik Hall with 12. I I think you want Max Christie or Gabe Brown to be your go-to scoring guy, but we haven't seen that consistently at all this year. Gabe Brown's been up and down. Max Christie's had games where you're like, okay, this guy's a pro, and then he's had some other games where he hasn't looked very good. So I'm not all the way in on this Michigan State team. And with with Wisconsin, Davis had a great game, 25. He needed this when he struggled recently. I, I, I still question their ceiling if Johnny Davis isn't dropping 25. Because if he drops 25, they could be an Elite Eight Final Four team probably because he's that good. And then you have other pieces around him that can complement him well. But when you have to – when you, Brad Davison or Tyler Wall or – uh, Chucky Hepburn is going to try to beat you in the tournament. I don't see Wisconsin going far unless Davis is going to play like that national player of the year candidate in every single game. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of compare this a little bit to that 2019 Purdue team where Carson Edwards was on it. Like you look at Carson Edwards and Johnny Davis, like they're fantastic. They can go off for 30 and beat whoever they play, but 
if those two aren't going off, like their their run in the NCAA tournament is certainly limited. Like Purdue got Carson Edwards to score like I think thirty in every single game except for maybe the old Dominion game in the first round. But yeah, I kind of think like if Johnny Davis isn't going off, they're not being you know a good team. It, credit to him, like he could go off. We've seen it already. Like he scored thirty seven and they win at Maggie. So he's capable of going off uh, and carrying this Wisconsin team. Uh, but can he do it consistently for four games, five games, six games to win the national championship? I don't know if he can. And like, he has to carry such a big load in order to do that. But yeah, I mean, for Michigan state, it, you mentioned it, it's like, they don't really have like a star, like, Marcus Bingham, I think it's a good, like, role-playing center. Like, I think he's good at that. Like, Gabe Brown is a good second or third scorer on a good team. Joey Hauser, I think he's a role player. Max Christie, not – I think if he comes back to college next season, like, I could see him going from, like, being a, you know – 10-point game guy to being like a 16-point game guy. He's the only player on that team that has superstar potential. Nobody else on that roster does. Yeah, but I don't think he's ready. Like, he's not physically there. Like, I think he needs a full offseason to just get in the gym and develop as, you know, player and, you know, get stronger. I think he'll be, if he comes back, uh, he'll be, you know, uh, probably an All-American level player, but he's not there yet. Neither is like Tyson Walker, AJ Hogard. Like this team just has like a lot of role players, which is fine, but they don't have a superstar. And uh, if you're going to be like a legitimate team, you need at least a star. And they don't have that. So that's kind of a concern from them. UConn. Needed needed a win, not a win to keep their tournament hopes alive. That's definitely not the case. But they need a win just to get back on track, and they get it here against Marquette. Adama Sinogo, 24 and 10. He had six turnovers, but was really dominant the entire game. Tyrese Martin, 18 and 10, showing off why he's such a good glue guy. And then Jordan Hawkins even added eight points off the bench for UConn. Marquette made a late push, but then UConn responded to the push. Justin Lewis had 17. Omax Prosper at 18. I'm still a believer in this Marquette team. I still think they're really good. This was just a tough road game against a motivated UConn team. What do you think about UConn overall, though? What would you say their ceiling is, if you had to say right now? What's this team's ceiling? Yeah, I mean, I still say their ceiling is like maybe Sweet 16, Elite 8. Like, it all kind of depends upon the bracket, but I mean – this UConn team, they're solid. Like RJ Cole's a you know good point guard. Uh Tyrese Martin certainly stepped up in this game, but what kind of been like missing the past you know few games is Adama Sonogo playing like you know early season when they beat Auburn, they you know were playing really good basketball. Adama Sonogo was their best player. And for a while we hadn't really been seeing Adama Sonogo, you know, having these type of performances. So it was good to see him. I, I still am hesitant to say like anything beyond like sweet 16. They'll probably go out in like the round of 32 or something like that. But yeah, I mean, this UConn team, they're decent. They defend, you know, pretty well, not elite defensively, but they have good defensive pieces. Uh, so a, a solid team. And it's kind of good to see them get on the right track against a Marquette team and not certainly not a bad loss for Marquette. Like, 
going on the road to UConn, that's not an easy place to win at. Uh, and they've, you know, they've had a really good stretch here. Like aside from the tough province loss, like they, they lost once since that double overtime Creighton game. Uh, so that's, that's a good stretch. I think Marquette was maybe due for a loss here or there, uh, but they're still going to be in it, the insane tournament and still could be like a team you're looking out for to potentially, you know, make a second weekend or elite eight or something like that. San Francisco has zero margin for error remaining after losing a quadrant four home game where they were 19 point favorites against Portland and Portland's going to get things going. Shante Leggins is a great coach. We saw what he did at Eastern Washington. Portland's been much improved after the Terry Porter era, but San Francisco just did not play well in this game. Portland gave them trouble twice. They almost beat them a couple days ago at, at Portland, but now they beat them at San Francisco. You'd almost rather lose a game on the road instead of at home because this one's going to hurt the resume a whole lot more. Jamari Boye had a good game, but Christian, Christian Zolund had the best game of anybody on the floor. He had 23 points and 18 rebounds. Rebounds for Portland. He made five threes. He's transferred a couple times, I believe, from Georgia Tech and UTEP. So he's a he's on his third school, and he had a really good game here. Moses Wood at 18 points. He's been to a, three schools also. Uh, but you just can't – there's no more margin for error if you're San Francisco. You lost a Quadrant 4 game. They should have beat St. Mary's. They should have beat BYU because those were games where they had comfortable leads in at points. Uh, their Grand Canyon loss, that was just a loss. They didn't play well against Loyola Chicago. They could have won that one. But Loyola Chicago is good. We'll get into them in a minute. But you look back, and obviously losing the Portland game is big because that's a terrible loss. But you almost look at the BYU and San Francisco games, and you're like, man, we should have had these games, and that loss would not have hurt us as much. What do you think would – is one more loss not to Gonzaga going to be it for San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, I still – I'm – not certain on like everything with the Don's resume, what it will look like, but yeah, I mean, they, they probably can't lose to Pepperdine. They can't lose to Santa Clara uh, Pacific. Like I think they could maybe lose at Santa Clara. You don't think they can lose? No. Like I think they they're too, unless they beat St. Mary's or beat Gonzaga, like that's a game. They, they probably can't lose on their resume, but yeah, I mean, this, this team, it's not like they're bad. Like they rate good in the metrics. Uh, they have a couple good wins, but th- this loss is definitely very harmful to their resume and uh, jumped them down a few spots in the net. Uh, now they're ranked 42nd. Like if they're able to, let's say win at St. Mary's or yeah, I think the biggest thing in, when they play Gonzaga at home is, you know, not getting like Gonzaga has just been destroying every single team they've played in the WCC. I think San Francisco lost by 16. I think that's probably the closest game Gonzaga's played. So, I mean, if San Francisco, let's say they play Gonzaga, they'll probably play Gonzaga once or twice. Like if they play Gonzaga at home and make it like a, really close game like that. I think that would be like something where the committee is like, all right, they didn't beat Gonzaga, but let's say they keep it. They lose by six. You're like, all right, this team, you know, they, they have this bad loss, but Hey, they, they look good against uh, Gonzaga. So, you know, let's put this team in. I think that's going to be a big game. Not, you know, if they're able to win it, that obviously that would be huge, but don't get blown out by that. That would also do them help. But yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be a harmful loss on their resume. Still, I think can make it. Still have them projected in, but 
definitely little room for air. A two-bid WCC is definitely more likely than a four-bid WCC at this point. And as we're recording this, uh, you guys will know the results by the time we're done here. But Loyola Marymount's up 14 at the start of the first half. I'm assuming this is it for BYU if they lose here to Quadrant 3 loss. Yeah, I mean, the problem with BYU is, like, not that they're taking these losses. It's they don't – like, they – the biggest concern is they look like they're not going to turn the ship. Like, no, it's one thing if, you know, you have these losses kind of spread out, but right now, I mean, they've, they've lost four straight, uh, could lose five straight. You'll, listeners will know by then uh, at Pepperdine at St. Mary's. I mean, those, I, I don't think they're going to win those games. Simply put, like they could, they could be, be Pepperdine, but like they're they're not going to beat St. Mary's right now with the way they're playing. I don't believe yeah. they're down seventeen. Like to Loyola Marymount. Yeah, I mean they they lost at Pacific, so like I, I don't know That's if true. like they can win at Pepperdine. Like this BYU team, they they look cooked right now. I think it's we're looking at like all right, Gonzaga's going to be a one seed. St. Mary's, they're probably like between a seven or a 10 seed, like somewhere in there, like they're going to be in the NSA tournament. Then San Francisco's on the bubble and BYU is unfortunately on the wrong side of the bubble. So I think that's what we're going to uh, end up seeing with this WCC. And then two bit Missouri Valley. Uh, it is, it's getting narrow here because loyal Chicago. Yeah, they have good, they have good metrics, but, Lost another, you know, tough game here uh, to Bradley. Not necessarily a bad loss. They're still, you know, undefeated in quad three on uh, quad four games. I still think they could maybe lose a game or two like the rest of the way and still get it at that large bid. But uh, this this certainly does not help them here. No, I think Loyola Chicago is still going to make the tournament. I'm not the bracketologist here, but when you look at this, I mean, Bradley's a solid team. The the Valley's good. Like, the Valley is a good conference. Bradley on the road. You lost at Drake. You lost at home against Missouri State. That's one you'd like to have back. Missouri State's good, but you'd prefer almost beating them at home and losing on the road. I feel like that'd be more beneficial toward your resume. But you have a game against I disagree on that. You disagree, really. Because if you beat them on the road, now you have a quad one win, whereas, like... Okay, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I think that's better for a team than. But you think a quadrant two loss is more important than a, or getting the quadrant one win is more important than having a quadrant two loss? Yes, I think okay. so. Okay, no, I, you're probably right. I didn't really think about it like that. That's a good point. So, but Loyola, Loyola Chicago, they're able to split there against Missouri State. But here they have a tough one on Sunday. They host Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa has been super hot as of late. They've won five straight, including a win over Bradley, including a win over Drake. They've been shooting the ball well. They only had 53 the other night, but this Northern Iowa team can get on a different level when they're hitting shots. They're going to play with their small ball lineup with Noah Carter at the five, and they can just let it fly from outside. This is a dangerous game for Loyola Chicago, and if they drop this one, I think the sense of urgency for making the NCAA tournament gets really, really big because you can't you can't lose these kind of games right now. They only have five losses. I still think even if they lost Northern Iowa, they'd probably be fine for now. 
But again, you don't want to be like at the edge at the edge of your seat on Selection Sunday. Like you want to feel comfortable. You want to eat popcorn. You want to have a soda. You want to relax while watching the selection show. You don't want to have to stress about if your team's going to be in the bracket or if you're going to go to the NIT. Like you don't want to have to think about that. Yeah, and certainly like he, ideally in an ideal world, like Loyal Chicago wins the Valley Tournament and they're they're eating popcorn and uh, I don't know if. Actually, probably a lot of their teams like old enough to smoke the victory cigars or something like that. So uh, do do whatever to celebrate. I, in an ideal world, they win the Valley Tournament. But in case they lose the Valley Tournament, like they definitely would do uh, benefits to themselves. And I, I go back to a game like they lost early in the season where they they could be in like a diff, a whole different spot if they play Michigan State. That game, you know, ends up going down the file wire and Michigan State gets a game-winning alley-oop. If that game goes the other way, like, we're probably not even talking about Loyola Chicago. So, uh, while, you know, they're they're stumbling a little bit here, I still think, like, this is a team that, you know, come NCAA tournament time, they're going to be a tough out. And, uh, you know, right now they're just kind of playing for seeding. Uh, but they certainly can't lose too many more games. I think ideally, if you're the Valley, like if you're the higher ups of the Valley, you almost want Loyola Chicago to finish the regular season strong and then lose in the conference tournament. I'm not going to speak for other people, of course, but I think ideally, if you're the Valley, that's that's your best case scenario because you're going to get Loyola Chicago in as an at-large. You're not going to get another team in as an at-large. Drake isn't getting in as an at-large like they did last year. You're going to want a Northern Iowa or a Bradley or Drake or Missouri State to win that league tournament so you can get another team in the tournament and have a chance for another team to win a tournament game. I think that's the best-case scenario for the Valley, right? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, Northern Iowa can do it. They have more than enough talent to win a game. Drake, they do, but I still have questions because they don't really have that go-to score. Yeah. Missouri State, I think, has the best chance to win a game of any team because they have Isaiah Mosley and Gage Prim. I think Missouri State's a sweet 16 caliber team if they get in. I think Northern Iowa could win a game. Southern Illinois, I think they can compete in a game. I don't think they can win a game. And then you look at a team like Indiana State, I think on the right night, if Cameron Henry and Cooper Neese are hitting shots, they can compete in a game because Josh Schertz is a really good coach. He's a solid squad there. But I, I, I think we could see a two-bit valley, but obviously that's all – based on if Loyola Chicago gets in at large and they lose in the Valley Tournament. Yeah, certainly. I think that's the only possible way for two-bit Valley. So should we get into some picks here? Let's do it. Love the picks. What's our records at this point? Uh, Bad week for us. I think we both went. For both uh, of us. Yeah, we both went five and nine. So That's not good. If you you faded us, uh, you won. Uh, So. But that's I'm not going to happen. Disappointed this time. in myself. You yeah. Got to do better. This isn't going to happen. Last weekend, last weekend, uh, you didn't necessarily lose. Like you, your picks went over five hundred. I, I, I had such a good weekend, so I took the lead. But yeah, for this week, you know, are you going to take the lead back for me? Because I will. That, that's yeah, certainly yeah, a possibility. I'm confident that I will do just that. And I guess we'll start off with one game on Friday. UConn. 
at Xavier, ranked matchup between 24 and 25. Xavier has not looked good at all recently. They lost at home to DePaul. They lost again the other day against Seton Hall on the road. That one was close. They came back, but they still lost. They've lost four of their last six. Are you going with the Musketeers to win at home, or are you going to go with UConn to pull the road win? I'll go UConn here. Only a one-point spread. Xavier giving one. Yeah, I'll go UConn, I guess, to win and cover the spread, but yeah, it's just I don't necessarily like what I've seen out of Xavier. They lost a tough game to Seton Hall, but yeah, I think UConn, they're starting to play a little bit better. Maybe it was just kind of a one-game sample size type of situation, but yeah, I'll go UConn to win on the road. I'm going to go with Xavier. I think they're going to have trouble defending Adama Sinogo, and most teams do because Adama Sinogo was awesome. You're going to have to hope Jack Nungy can stay can stay with him. I mean, Adama Sinogo is just so strong, but and Jack Nungy is also very strong. So I think this could be an interesting matchup. I lean with the the better guard play of Xavier being the determining factor here because I do like Paul Scruggs. He's been up and down, but he was really good the other night. You have Nate Johnson who can hit threes. You have Adam Kunkel who can hit threes. You have a lot of options. I think more perimeter options is what's going to give Xavier the victory here, and they're at home. I'm going to take the Musketeers. All right. Uh, moving on to Saturday. Uh, started out. Not Texas. a good Saturday slate, by the way. Not a good Saturday slate. Hey, well, last Saturday slate was supposed to be like, this is the best day of basketball of the season. And it was a complete dud. So that's true. Maybe, maybe this could, this will probably be better Saturday than uh, the previous one, just because uh, that was a dud of a day, but yeah, I'll go – or we'll start it off. Texas going on the road to take on Baylor. Baylor is a six-point favorite in this one, and I'm going to take the Baylor Bears uh, as six-point favorites. Uh, defend home court. Uh, tough tough matchup for Texas, uh, so I'll go Baylor to win at home. Man, I've been up and down on Baylor this year. Like, I still think they're a national title contender. I never fully believed they were the best team in the country. I've kind of thought that was Gonzaga all year. I'm going to go and say I just can't trust Texas. I mean, I, I want to trust Texas. I just can't. So I'm going to go Baylor to cover the sixth. But if Texas comes out and pulls an upset, I guess I won't be surprised. I think they could very well cover. It's just tough to trust that team. Yeah. I Especially, too, like Baylor hasn't been playing the best basketball. Now they did beat Kansas State on the road somewhat handily so that gives me a little bit of confidence in the bears but yeah i i certainly don't trust either team a whole lot right now um and speaking of teams i cannot trust i don't trust either of these teams i'll tell you that yeah arkansas go on the road to take on alabama i guess i'm gonna go alabama minus five like what they go three of 30 against uh kentucky if they do that this is going to lose miserably, but I'll go Alabama to win and cover the five. Yeah, they made 14 of 22 from three in their next game against Ole Miss. Jaden Shackelford made eight triples. I don't think that'll happen again. I also don't think they'll go three for 30 again. So I'm going to say Alabama wins and covers, but I that's more of my thoughts on Arkansas than anything. Yeah, I'm not confident this game at all. Like, this is... Alabama as is, is like the least trustworthy team this year. Like last year, they could still win games ugly just because they had like Herb Jones doing literally everything you could imagine. 
and getting to the paint and scoring and then being, you know, one of the best defenders in the country. But this probably year, probably the best defender, uh, second best behind Davion Mitchell, probably. Yeah, that's like one switchable defender, though. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I would probably take Herb then, like, because he can defend one through five. Davion can't defend big men really because he's smaller. So, I'd, I'd say Herb was the best defender in the country. Yeah, definitely those two, though. Yeah, that was they were fun, and now they're yeah. both big time NBA players. No surprise. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma going on the road to take on Kansas. Kansas come off that tough loss, nine point favorites. I'm gonna roll with them. I think this is spot where Kansas lost a tough one and they're going to come out and play motivated. So I'll take them minus the nine points. I think Ochai and Christian Brown have big games. I was impressed by Dewan Harris the other day. He'll probably never be a super reliable scorer. That's just not his game. He's a good defender and he's a good playmaker. And I don't think Oklahoma has the pieces to really beat you big, big time down low, which is one of the, the issues Kansas has. They're not great down low with their play with David McCormick and Lightfoot and KJ Adams. They're not super reliable there. So I'm going to go ahead and say Kansas is able to cover the spread. All right. Uh, then next game, Seton Hall go on the road to take on Villanova. Villanova nearly choked it away against uh, St. John's, but they did not. And thus, we did not have to talk about them previously because they did not fall victim to that upset. I'll take Villanova, though, to mm. win and cover the 10-point spread here. to cover. That's a lot of points. I mean, I don't know if Bryce Aiken's playing. He's missed the last six games. I would definitely take them plus 10 if Bryce Aiken was playing. I'm going to take Seton Hall to cover, though, because their defense has been really solid again recently. Tyree Samuel, Iko Biagu, they have a lot of size that could give Villanova some problems, and it did the first time these two teams met. So I think Seton Hall's going to be able to cover the 10. All right. Next game up, mid-major special. It is Chattanooga go on the road to Let's take go. on Furman. Uh, Furman, two-point favorites in this one. I'm going to take Furman to win at home. Okay. Go with the home favorite. Yeah, Furman was, like, otherworldly good in their five games after losing to Chattanooga the first time. They beat every single team they played the next five games by 15 or more points. Since then, they lost to UNCG at home. That was a big upset. And then they lost at ETSU. Another decently sized upset. Now they'll head, they'll host Chattanooga. The first time these two teams met, David Jean Baptiste did not play for Chattanooga. He's back for this one. So that's obviously a big time thing because he's one of their better players, probably their second best player behind Malachi Smith, who also should have been on that Bob Cousy watch list. But I'm going to take Chattanooga. I just think they're better. I, we're not sure if Silvio DeSosa is going to play. That's a question mark here because he's a really solid player down low, but they've gotten solid production from Avery Diggs and Josh Ianni recently. So they can rely on those guys a little bit. It's not the same as DeSosa, but it, it's somewhat reliable. Malachi Smith is the determining factor here for me. He just does everything. He's one of the best guards in the country. We saw against Mercer, his ability to not just make plays for himself, but for others, drives to the lane, attracts a bunch of attention with time running off the clock. He knows he either has to take the shot or pass it to an open shooter, and he does. He finds A.J. Caldwell in the corner for a game-winning triple against Mercer. That was a big-time play and just shows why Malachi Malachi Smith is so good. So I'm going to take Chattanooga to win the game here. All right. Uh, previous time we picked a Houston game. We both picked SMU to cover and, and win. to win outright. So are, are we taking Memphis to win the game outright against Houston here? I'm yeah, taking them to cover 0% the chance. Zero. Less than a 0% chance I would do that. I'm taking Memphis plus the 13, though. 
taking I, them there. I'm going to take Houston to give the points here because, again, Memphis turns the ball over a ridiculous amount, 23% of the time. It's actually gotten better. It's like 28% at one point, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they did get DeAndre Williams back against Tulane. They've looked better recently with Williams back. He had a good game, seven rebounds, 14 points. Alex Lomax didn't play well. Imani Bates didn't play, and I don't know if he's going to play in this one. They've won four straight games. They've looked better. This is a game they need to have, really, if they're going to have any chance of making the NCAA tournament. Josh Minot's probably their best player, but I'm going to take Houston to cover because I just think they're that much better than than Memphis, who turns the ball over entirely too much. Certainly. So going differing picks there. Indiana go on the road to take on Michigan State. Michigan State come off a, a home loss. That's that's always a sign that I think Michigan State's not going to make it two home losses row. I'll take them to win and cover the four point spread. I mean, it's Big Ten basketball, which means home teams usually have the advantage, right? Unless you're Michigan State the other day and you drop one to Wisconsin. They've also dropped one at home against India against Northwestern without Pete Nance. So that that's interesting. They've lost two straight. Both were a little concerning for a few different reasons. I'm going to take Indiana to cover here because I, I, I'm i kind of out on Michigan State right now. I think Trace Jackson Davis could have a big game, but you look at Indiana's game earlier in the week. They had five players suspended. I'm not sure if they're going to be back, but they didn't have Parker Stewart. They didn't have Xavier Johnson. They didn't have Tamar Bates. They had pretty much had a six-man rotation, and their guards were Anthony Leal and Trey Galloway. Those were their two guards for the game. The rest of their starting lineup was Miller Cop, Race Thompson, and Trace Jackson Davis. So they didn't have anything in the way of guard play, and that was noticeable. So if they're able to get their guys back, I think that Indiana will cover. If not, I think Michigan State will win handily. But if the suspended players return, I think Indiana will be good in this one to cover. Well, here's the real question. Will Mike Woodson be bringing the suit? That's that's a legitimate question. Because he brings it, I might, I might take Indiana here. Who knows that? But next game on the docket, we've got Miami going on the road to take on Wake Forest. Wake Forest is seven point favorites. Miami is struggling big time. So I'm going to take Wake Forest minus the seven. Yeah, I'm going to take Wake too because I love the duo of Alondis Williams and Jake Larabia. I was in on this Miami team at one point. Then they decided to lose two of their last three. They were down at the half against Georgia Tech. They didn't look particularly good in that one. Their defense is just really bad. And it's 175th in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. Wake Forest is very solid on both ends of the floor. They're not elite on either side, but they're really good on both sides. And I think that's going to be the the determining factor for them winning here. Alonis Williams is playing like an All-American, maybe Conference Player of the Year. So give me Wake Forest to roll in this one as their team I am definitely looking to back in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they. aside from Duke, uh, Wake Forest is like, I think, the clear second best no, it's team. Not even close. It's not even close. Yeah. Like, I think it, tier one is Duke by themselves. Tier two is Wake. Then, like, I think Notre Dame's like the third best team in the ACC. Give me Virginia. I'm going to take Notre Dame, but it's like there's a bunch of teams you could argue for. It's it's not so that, great. that shows why the ACC is not good. Yeah, if if we're arguing Virginia and Notre Dame for top three, which team's a top three team in this league? That's not great. So, yeah. Uh, this one's a big one because Murray State, this might be their toughest test left on uh, their schedule. I guess they play Belmont 
uh, again, a little bit later, but go on the road to take on Moorhead State. Uh, only a five-point favorite in this one. Are you rolling with Murray, or do you think they get picked off here? I'm going with Murray State. They they led they trailed at the halftime today against Tennessee State, but KJ Williams had 39 points. It wasn't Tevin Brown's best game? Seven points. Nobody else on the team scored double figures, but KJ Williams willed them to victory. I think they're going to be able to win in this one too. I see it as a four point spread on Ken Palm now, so I'm, I'm that that makes me even more want to take Murray State. So I'll t- I'll take the Racers to cover on the road here. All right, uh, I'll take Morehead State here. I I think Murray State. Uh, maybe due for a loss here or there. I think this is a tough spot, so I'll take uh, Moorhead State to win outright. I still think Murray State will be fine. They'll make the NCAA tournament as a large team. I think they'll probably win the Ohio Valley tournament as well. But I think they're due for a loss, so give me Moorhead State plus the four and to win the game outright, uh, especially after a tough loss to Belmont that they took today. So uh, going to be a fun game, though. Certainly must watch there. Ohio State go on the road to take on Michigan. Uh, Michigan is a one-point favor in this one. Uh, are you rolling with the Buckeyes or taking uh, Michigan to back up that performance? I don't trust Ohio State. I don't at all. I didn't trust them last year. I still don't trust them this year. E.J. Liddell got a lot better, but their guard plays worse. Uh, they don't play a ton of defense, 128th in defensive efficiency. And we see what Michigan does the teams that don't defend. I mean, we saw that today against Purdue. They had a field day against Purdue, and statistically, Ohio State's worst defensively. Give me Michigan to win this game, further boost their at-large resume. I think Michigan will end up making the tournament. I think Ohio State falls on the road here and loses their second consecutive game. I'm going to take Ohio State to win on the road. Uh, I think they're, they're obviously – it's going to be a close game, uh, but I think they're – just due for one of these wins. And another point is like Michigan come off at night where Caleb Houston drills four threes, Hart Dickinson drills four threes, everything's going right. And it's hard to play two, two days later uh, against a really good team. So I'll go Ohio state on that basis, but yeah, it's certainly going to be a really kind of fun matchup to uh, watch next minute. Game we got, we've got UCLA go on the road to take on USC. UCLA is a two-point favorite in this one, and I'm going to take UCLA. I think a couple, you know, their past couple games, it's been USC getting tough. You know, I think they've won two straight games at USC on buzzer beaters. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They, uh, uh, USC won two straight on buzzer beaters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jonah Matthews and uh, Taj Eadie last year. All right. I was right on that. So I think UCLA, they're, they're motivated. They know they're, they're so close to win those games. I'm going to take UCLA to win and cover the two-point spread. I will too. It depends really. Like I think UCLA wins regardless, but it'll be a lot easier of a win if Isaiah Mobley doesn't play. Hopefully he does because he's awesome to watch. He's a big time player for USC. He's their best player. And we saw that as USC struggled to get by Pacific, who is not a good team. They're the worst team in the WCC. They struggled in that one. It was a rescheduled game from earlier in the year, but they need Mobley back. But the size of USC could give UCLA a bit of an issue though, because they play Cody Riley and Miles Johnson. They split minutes at the five. 
and you usually play Hawkins at the four. While for USC, you're playing Drew Peterson a lot of minutes in the perimeter. He sometimes runs a point for this team when you want to put Boogie Ellis off the ball. So he's sometimes a point guard. Then you have Max Agbonk Polo at the three. You have Chavez Goodwin at the five. And then you have Isaiah Mobley at the four. Those guys are all, there's four guys in our lineup that are six foot nine or taller. So that could be very tough, especially to score on when you're a smaller team. I think UCLA is going to win though, because I think they're just more talented, especially on the offensive end. I think Hawkins and Juzang will be able to get their shots despite the length and athleticism of the USC defense. All right. Do you trust St. Mary's to only lose by 14 or less points? 15 point underdogs against Gonzaga. No, no I don't. G- give me Gonzaga giving the points. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I mean, Gonzaga was giving 32 to Pacific today. Did they cover? They did. <laughs> they won by 38. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga is just rolling people right now. Like it, I got to say, though, I got to say, I disagree with your take about the reason they haven't won a championship being that they don't face competition. I don't I disagree with that. Here's my here's like I'll explain this take a little bit like. That what you see with a lot of the teams that end up winning the national championship is they get like legitimate tests and lose games late in the season, like every team. Since 2009, except for Louisville, which I guess that title doesn't count anymore, uh, has lost within the last three weeks of the season. So, like, the problem with the WCC a little bit right now is, like, Gonzaga's winning it two-handedly. Like, they're they're not even getting tested. And I think that matters a little bit in March Madness just because, like, you're going to face – you know, Duke or Kentucky, and I guess Duke messed not necessarily this year because uh, they play in the ACC, but you're going to face teams who have been playing similar caliber of teams uh, and, you know, know how, how to close that out. I think that's kind of the tough part for Gonzaga. And, like, I think they can certainly win the national championship. They're beating everyone by 40 right now. So they can win it, but I think that's that's a – thing that certainly helps uh come March Madness like if you get uh tested and especially if you're recently tested which Gonzaga has not been tested recently I do get that and I agree agree in a certain sense but do you I think more more of it is telling about how good Gonzaga is rather than how not good the WCC is like if you put Gonzaga in the Pac-12 they have they're undefeated nobody in the Pac-12 will have beaten them and that's the only realistic conference that they could move to yeah, like it. If they move to the Pac-12, though, I think like Arizona could beat them. Like they could, but they're the only team I really think that could even have yeah. a game with them. I guess UCLA, like they're. Although I get, they we already their, saw what happened in that one. Yeah. So I mean, I the the issue is like you haven't if you haven't faced a tough opponent or a tough game in three months, it's hard to all of a sudden play a tough game and maybe Gonzaga doesn't need to play. Like if Gonzaga goes out and in all six games goes 2018 Villanova and beats everyone by double digits, then uh, you know, they're just that good. But having played tough games against tough competition pretty recently, I think it's a big, big advantage uh, that, you know, these higher major teams have on them. Like, a Kentucky, a Duke, or a Auburn, or K 
Kansas or I think those Arizona, like they're going to play games within like single digits and look, Gonzaga can beat them, but you know, it does help those teams having already played tougher games uh, in the previous couple months, knowing what to do down the stretch of those games. Yeah. Okay. I, I do get that. All right. That that makes more sense for sure. I, I just think, I just think it's more telling about Gonzaga than anything. Yeah. Like they're, they're just, they're too dominant right now. Like that's, and that's a, I feel like this year, when you look at their margin of victory, don't quote me on this, but I feel like it's even bigger than last year. Yeah. I think like the difference between this year and last year is like last year was carrying the, you know, undefeated Mark like this year. It's like, they're kind of off the radar because they lost a little bit early. Mm-hmm. So they're just going I, I, I'm still it. taking them to win the title. Like I, I don't think that's going to change. I've had that since the preseason. I had that last year. I think it's going to be the same for me. I don't see that changing. All right. I, I wouldn't expect it to change. So do, do you have Gonzaga winning the title right now? I'm taking Kentucky right now. Okay. I like that pick. They're probably, I'd go Gonzaga, Arizona, then Kentucky. So yeah, I think Kentucky Right now, they look very like Sheboy is dominating inside. Uh, I think Wheeler and Washington are playing well together. Kelvin Brady's that perfect uh, three and D player. But I mean, they're they're like, I think Gonzaga can win. I think Kentucky can win. Obviously, I don't think Purdue can win it. Yeah, Purdue's like tough. Like, if you would have asked me before watching this Michigan game. Can they win? I'd be like, yeah, I, that, I might take them to win it right now. But it's like they're so inconsistent that's like hard to pick them. And like Kansas is kind of like a similar way. Like when they're on, like they in that Baylor game, I might have taken them to win the national championship right after that. But you're mm-hmm. also reminded, all right, a week ago they got blown out by Kentucky. So how reliable is that? Like, I could see those two teams cutting down the nets. I could see Arizona. I think Baylor, if they get a Kenjo right, they could get it, cut down the nets. I and get Auburn, LJ Cryer back. Yeah, get LJ Cryer back. I think Auburn could, uh, as long as Wendell Green isn't uh, taking a bunch more shots than Jabari Smith. Um, I think Marquette could as a sleeper. I don't think so. Yeah, really? Oh, I think they could. I think they could. That's a sleeper I like. Yeah, I'm taking those eight. Yeah, okay. I know. I, I think those are Illinois. Give me Illinois, too. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think those are teams we'll definitely see in the conversation. Yeah, I think if if you're telling me take those eight or the field, I'm taking, obviously. Those eight. Yeah. I agree. I would take those eight over the rest of the 60 teams that are in the tournament. Yeah. I, I, I would put it like Gonzaga, Kentucky. I think there's like a 50% chance one of those two, two teams cuts down the net. And then like a lesser percent, like I think Duke, maybe like Duke. Yeah, they're in there too. 15 to 20%. Kansas, Purdue, I think have like 10%. Auburn, maybe 10% chance. Arizona, 5% or something like that. I think it's going to come from one of those eight teams, though. So, after yeah. our Gonzaga discussion, we'll pivot to the Mountain West Super Bowl Sunday. 
Colorado State and Boise State going to be a little pregame entertainment as Colorado State goes to Boise. They are four-point underdogs against Boise State. Boise State's great defensively. I saw both of these teams in person, actually. Colorado State, I saw the other day. David Roddy put on an absolute show against Nevada. I mean, he just wasn't missing. It was incredible to watch. It was even better in person than it is on TV. I think Colorado State is the best team in the Mountain West still. I think Wyoming's really good, but I, I'm going to stick with my pick of Colorado State being the best team in the league, and I, th- I think they're going to pull off the road win here against Boise State because I think their offense will be a little too much for Boise State's elite defense to handle. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm picking Colorado State as well, but with Boise State's four-point favorites, like, at worst case scenario, like I think, yeah, I think Colorado State at least covers. Yeah, I think like worst case scenario for Colorado State is Marcus Shaver drilling a game wing three at the buzzer or something like that. Like I think Colorado State at least keeps this close, uh, and I, I'm taking them to uh, win and cover the spread. So, yeah, both on the same page there. Last one here, uh, it is the Super Bowl. We're going to predict the winner. Uh, should we make this count towards the records or no? No. All right. We're, we're given our official pick though. Uh, not counting Rams, uh, Bengals, I guess Bengals at Rams. You could maybe say that since they're playing, uh, in the Rams, uh, home or, or home stadium. Um, yeah. So home stadium, uh, Rams are three and a half point favorites. I'm taking the Rams to win and cover the spread. Really? I just think they have more talent. And oh man, the Bengals are the team of destiny. Give me the Bengals to cover. And anyway. win. Yeah. All right. So I've got Rams. You've got Bengals. Give me a fun Super Bowl. I think they just, they just have that it factor about them. It's like it's like I'm I can't think of a college basketball. Game. It's like Georgetown winning the Big East last year, almost, or like Oregon State winning the Big East and making a run. It feels like that. Like I would say it's more since. Georgetown lost by like 90 to Colorado. It's less of them. It's more like Oregon State almost making the final four. Like they just have that aura about them. But did Oregon State make the final four? No, but they won three more games than anybody expected expect them to win in the tournament. They're three and nineteen right now. I think we both picked Tennessee to win that game. Oh, we definitely did. <laughs> or, I didn't think no, Oregon State was gonna win any games. Wait, I think. No, I think we both picked Oregon State to win. I definitely didn't. All right, maybe maybe I'm thinking wrong. I we we were both out on Tennessee though. I was more out on Oregon State than anything. I was definitely out on Tennessee. I was definitely out on Oregon State. I was never in on Georgia. I took Colorado to win that game as they did, but yeah, I mean that was just a complete, just crazy run and. They've been terrible this year. So that just even goes to show like how crazy of a run that was. Cause that this team is bad. They are very bad. Yeah. Like they're like three and eighteen. With, sorry. They're not three and nineteen, they're three and eighteen. Yeah, especially with Georgia and uh Missouri now being halfway decent. I think it's fair to say like Oregon State worst uh power six. No, it's not even close. It's not yeah. Georgia would beat them by twenty. And ironically, second might be Georgetown. Probably. I mean, they're really bad. Should we mention uh, what happened yesterday? I mean, they've now lost like 12 straight games. They were tied with like 12 minutes to go, right? And then they end up losing by only eight, but it was like 21 at one point. Yeah, 
I can't say I watched a single second. Of it, I did but... not. I definitely didn't. But what just that's unbelievable to me. Yeah, I saw that people were sending out like the ESPN, like the showing of like the point total at the point of the game type of thing. It's like tied game, and then like Georgetown has a square line, and uh, DePaul's line is going up, obviously. So not great. Nope, not great. Any last thoughts before we sign off here? Uh, BYU's back in the game. Looks like they might be able to pull away with this one. So that'll obviously you guys will know by the time you're hearing this, but that, that'll be my final thoughts here. All right, BYU. Maybe, maybe they're going to make the NCAA tournament after all. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. But thanks again for tuning in to uh, the Making Madness College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we'll be back to break down what should be good weekend of games. Uh, so stay tuned until that, but have a good one.